Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3 in a message called, I Got the Code. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, thank you so much for being the God of our salvation, that you didn't change your mind, but that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we study you, Lord, thank you that what we see here in Genesis is the same person you are in the New Testament. And thank you for showing that to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our passage we're going to be covering here, these last few verses in Genesis 3, start at verse 20, where it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, last time when we were together, we took a good look at Adam and we saw him moved with the truth that he caused the death of that animal. He had caused the death, and there he was wearing the skins of this animal or animals. Very traumatic event. And maybe you just read this, and it doesn't really grip you. I mean, how many of you have pets? How many has pets? Okay, if you have pets, okay. In our business, you know, from 1978 till 1987, we lived among 300 goats, a reputation that I'm glad to be getting away from. But anyway, it's the goat man. (laughs) But my wife and I said that when we left the ranch, that was it for animals. No more animals. We'd had enough. And so now the only thing we have is we have 14 koi fish, which are carp. I'm not even fond of them. I'm not attached. I have no problem eating gefilte fish. (laughs) But for people who have pets. It's a totally different story. They're actually like members of their family. Yesterday I was preparing for this class. My friend Steve calls me and he's all concerned and he says that he's heard in our laboratory that we've made some advances with stomach cancer. And he asked if we had a cure for stomach cancer. So immediately, I think of Mike Hayner comes to mind with the stomach cancer and two other patients, Andre from Russia, who was thin as a rail, but getting better, and with the stomach cancer. And, you know, the whole thing comes back to mind, and I'm starting to feel really bad. And then when I feel bad and get upset, I do two things. I talk and I eat. And so, but this time I didn't eat, I just talked. And I talked and talked and went on and on about everything I knew about stomach cancer and the problems that we had encountered with Mike. And, and then I remembered the starvation of it all and, and how I wish we had caught the starvation earlier and with Mike. And I went into all the issues of starvation from the stomach cancer and what we should have done. And the more I started, was talking about it, the more I was reliving it. It was all coming back to me. And I started to feel really bad. 
Bateman is talking in this monologue for about 20 minutes. And I got myself all worked up. And I'm thinking to myself, now Steve is going to tell me about his friend with the stomach cancer. And then he asked what I'd recommend. And I told him, well, in my opinion, he ought to go get these infusions, these 12 days of infusions. He says, 12 days? I said, yeah, it's about four to five hours per day. It's not so bad. I did it. And so I'm visualizing Steve's friend with the stomach cancer, and I'm thinking about Steve's friends is too weak maybe to get the infusions, and that's upsetting. And now my own stomach's starting to feel this hollow feeling, and I'm really upset, and now I really want to go eat. And then Steve tells me it's his dog. (laughs) His dog has the stomach cancer. And I was shocked, and I got mad first at Steve, and I thought, it's your dog. And so I said, we're spending all this time talking about your dog. And I felt so stupid. I wanted to say to myself, what's the matter with you, Steve? Why don't you just go put it to sleep, your dog? But I didn't say that. But you see, for Steve, that dog was like a person, like a member of his family. And my problem was that I was insensitive to that. I just thought, put the dumb dog to sleep. But anyway, but it wasn't a dog, just a dog for Steve. Not for Steve. So when we read in verse 21 here, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, we don't get the trauma of it all. It doesn't grip us like Adam because you and I are like me talking to Steve. We don't understand how close Adam was to these animals. But like Steve and his dog, this was like a part of Adam's family, these animals were. And so when Adam is standing there wearing the skin of these animals, you can just think about that a little bit, how traumatic that would be. He would be sitting there thinking to himself, I caused the death of my friend. And that's traumatic. And we just had a wonderful service every Sunday morning, as you know. Breaking a bread service we had. So it's the real worship service. You know, this is a teaching service, next service a preaching service. But that little half hour time, that's worship. And if that service is successful, if it really does what it's supposed to do in impressing us with the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll come out of that service feeling like Adam did, wearing those skins. Feeling that way. Because we'll be impressed, we caused his death. And he's our friend very close to us, like a member of our family. If it was Steve in the Garden of Eden, and it was his dog that was killed, and it was skinned, and he was standing there wearing it, that would be upsetting for Steve. And because he would think, I caused the death of my dog. I wouldn't have cared. No, I shouldn't say that. But um, it took the death of these animals to protect me, Adam could be thinking, to protect me. And when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, that same thought comes through. It took the death of my friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, to protect me. Because by our sin, we caused his death. It was his lifeblood that protects us from the exposure of our sin that would otherwise send you and I to hell. That's the reality of it. And so we see Adam standing there saying, I caused the death. Now last week we also saw this scene of Adam. He's standing there. He's got the pile of his aprons of fig leaves, those self-made aprons of fig leaves on the ground. He's just taken them off. He's cast them away. And now he's standing there wearing his God-made skins, his God-made coats, his skin. And we're going to see Adam leave the garden. And as we mentioned before, it's okay for Adam because he says, I got the coat. You remember the phrase, I got the coat. Say that with me. I got the coat. Okay, keep it in mind. Don't forget it. Because when it comes time to die, that's a great thing to say. 
I got the coat. Someone asked about my brother-in-law, Ronnie. Today, he's in the hospital with the myelodysplastic syndrome. And he has been there for a month, and he has a white blood cell count that's been down to 0.6, platelets that are at 11. He has no living cell within his bone marrow. And a couple of weeks ago, his hematologist doctor, who has great bedside manner, walks in and said, Ron, this is serious. We're talking about death here. So, and so a couple of weeks ago, then my wife and I had this great meeting with Ronnie, and we talked about how good the Lord is to save him. And then he told me, he says, I don't want to die. He said, I don't want to die. And I said, I understand you don't want to die. I don't want to die either. And he told me, he said, I'm not afraid to die. He said, but he didn't want to die because now that God has done a revival in his heart, he wants to do for God while he's alive. And I said, I understand that. I understand that. But when the time comes, we talked about this, Ronnie, when the time comes for you to die and you have one eye toward heaven and one eye toward earth, and you're caught in between, and you're like Adam leaving the garden, and you're looking back at the garden, and you're looking forward, and all you're going to say is like Adam says, just say, I got the coat. I got the coat, and that's all I need. To be saved in this life by the Lord Jesus Christ is to receive him as Savior, that's to have the coat. And that's the most important thing to do in life. And with the coat, ready to die. Now, we also saw last week how Adam and Eve When they decided to surrender to God, and there is that decision within these verses here of them deciding to surrender to God and let the Lord be the Lord of their lives again, that what happened is that God went about to rebuild their relationship between them. Their marriage was broken. It was severely broken. It was in shambles. And so God, we saw, gave to Adam and Eve correcting punishments, not curses. He gave the curse to the snake. And then... He said this wonderful promise of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. And he said these words that Adam really keyed on to. He said he heard her seed, and he heard bruise thy head, and he heard bruise his heel. And so here he understood God was going to become, out of love, the Redeemer was going to come. And when you blend this verse, Genesis 3.15, with John 3.16, and with Hebrews 2.14, what's John 3.16? You know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What's Hebrews 2.14 through 15? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death... He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So you can blend all these together. You can blend them all together and you can say, for God so loved the world that he gave her seed. He gave the seed of the woman or his only begotten son that through death or through thou shalt bruise his heel, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that's the devil, or he shall bruise thy head, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, or deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, it would have been very easy at this moment, with all this transpiring, for Eve to have been extremely discouraged. I mean, can you look at Eve? Can we have a heart for Eve? 
It's a rough time for Eve. She could become depressed. I mean, well, you know, she could sit there and say, now look what I did. Look what I've done. I was the first one to lead in this deadly rebellion against God. Look what I did. I dragged my husband down into this deadly, fatal rebellion against God. She could have said that. I destroyed our marriage. You know, when I was finished, I was no longer bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. I was that woman. This is a rough time for Eve, who gave him of the tree and caused him to sin. But the worst of all, she could say, what I did, I caused death. I brought death into the world. She said, so reality, I'm the mother of death. She could have said these things, you know. It's really a difficult time for Eve. She very well could have gone into a severe depression. God saw this with Eve and this depression that she could have gone to, and God felt for what Eve was going through at that time. And so Eve was kind of like the bruised reed and the smoking flax that God says when he sees that, he will not, Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed, he will not break of smoking flax, he will not quench. So he sees Eve in this very broken position, and what does he do for Eve? He does what he does in Deuteronomy 23, 5. Great verse to keep in our minds always. Thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. That's the reason why he did it, Deuteronomy 23, 5. God's in that business, turning curses into blessings. It's wonderful. So instead of leaving Eve with that stigma of being the fountain of death, and God told Eve that, no, 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 Eve, you're going to be the source of the new life. You're going to be the fountain of life. Forget about that in your old past. You were the fountain of death. You were sometimes these things, Paul told us. But now are ye light in the Lord. And so he says, you were that. But now, Eve, it's going to be different for you because now the second birth, you're going to give uh, birth to the life giver himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Eve, we're going to make for you a special privilege, a special special gift to you, Eve, because you're going to be a special little reflection of what it means when the Messiah comes. Because in your life-giving process, childbirth, you are going to be a little picture of what the Messiah would do for mankind. Every time Eve, and all women, give birth and bring in new life, you know, they say that the woman comes closest to death. You risk your life for what? in order for new life to come, see? And so what is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? He risked his life, in fact, he gave his life. And what happened? Us. New life came. See, so just like the Lord Jesus Christ, who personally sacrificed himself so we could have life, Eve, all women, would personally go through this pain, come close to death, and then new life would come. And he did that for Eve. That's wonderful. Tom, today you talked about death, which is a subject that we'd rather avoid talking about. But you talked about the purpose of death. What is the purpose of death and a greater explanation? Right. Well, we really have to divide that into two questions. The first question is, what was the purpose of death for the Lord Jesus Christ? And the second question is, what is the purpose of death for us? And 
the, in order to answer the first question, it's the verse that we covered today, which is in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, which really give us the purpose of his death. Because it says in that verse that for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what we really have here is a requirement, and the requirement is that because the goal or the purpose for his death was to destroy the devil and to deliver us who were held in the devil's captivity in his in his prison. In other words, that's the purpose. So in order for him to do that, he became like us. And when he became like us, he had one goal in his view, and that was he was going to die. He knew that his purpose was to die because in that death was really, we could call it a death struggle, because it was a death struggle, a death fight, that through that death, through that fight, he would be victorious in destroying the devil, which he was, that has the power of death, and to deliver us. So it's no question about it that in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, his purpose in death was twofold. One, to destroy the devil, and two, to deliver us. Now, the second part of the question, which really gets close to home, is what's the purpose of death for us? And as you mentioned, we just rather not even think about death, but especially uh, to think about a, a subject like a purpose in death, a purpose in dying. Well, the Bible here is also clear. It speaks about the purpose of our death in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, where it talks about our death as a sowing of a seed. In other words, the planting of a seed. And the picture there is of the seed dying. And this, and we know this is what happens when seeds, when they, they die, and then something comes up, uh, the plant comes up in its place of the dead seed. But if the seed doesn't go into the ground and die, then we know that there cannot be new life. And so what it says here is that so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So here's the, here's the issue with us. We have problems. What are our problems? First of all, we have a problem of corruption. Our old man is corrupt to the core. Second, we have a problem of dishonor. Third, we have a problem of weakness. And fourth, we have a problem of a natural body. And God's remedy for these four problems is, in place of corruption, that we should be in incorruption. In place of dishonor, we should be in glory. In place of weakness, we should be in power. In place of having just a natural body, for example, as animals, we should have a spiritual body. And God's purpose in death is to accomplish that change for us, is to see us to transform from corruption to incorruption, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, from natural body to a spiritual body. That's through death. That's the purpose of death in our lives. It's true, very true, and thank you for that deeper explanation of that. But Tom, you also quoted today from Deuteronomy where it said that God turned the curse into a blessing. 
What a good thought that that is, that God can turn a curse into a blessing. That seems to be the business that God is in. Are there other examples in Scripture where you can think of that God turned a curse into a blessing? Yes, and it is wonderful to think of God in terms of that. God, we could say, we could say here's a great title for God. God, you are the turner of the curses into blessings because it is a practice of God. It's something that he does. And the trouble is, is that when we find ourselves in the thick of it, as Joseph did, as Esther did, as the Lord Jesus Christ himself was in, that when we're in sort of like the curse, that it's very easy for us to give up and and even to think wrongly of God. But that's the time when faith needs to flex its muscles and to say, this present curse will turn into a blessing. Why? Because the God who is overall is, as you said, is in the business of turning curses into blessing. Now, we only have to think back, for example, of these cases of Joseph. Joseph, who was a good man. He was a good boy, and he became a good man. He was good. His father loved him. He loved him so much that he made him a coat of many colors. He was a kind of a of a person that was very, very honest, very transparent, no hidden agendas. What the Lord Jesus Christ said about Nathaniel, behold in Israel and indeed in whom is no guile. That's a description of Joseph. He is that type of person. He's a person that when you talk to Joseph, you have the distinct impression that you are getting the full straight scoop direct, and he's got no hidden agendas at all. And people love Joseph for that. Except that when Joseph began to to explain that he had had these dreams and his father and his brother would bow down, that wasn't well received. And so as a result of that, Joseph found himself being sold into slavery by his own brothers into the hands of strangers, foreigners, Midianites, strangers to the family, strangers from God, and he was now uh, a captive, a slave under them. And then he found himself, because of false accusations, for staying true to God, for staying true to Potiphar and not touching his wife as his wife was inviting him to do, we find that Joseph was thrown into prison as a despised prisoner. So there he was. That was a curse to be thrown into prison. But we find that God took Joseph out of prison placed him into a palace, and then Joseph in that palace was used of God to be the deliverer of all the Jewish people, even though there was less than 100 of them. Nevertheless, he saved their lives when God turned the curse in Joseph's life into a blessing. Same is true of Esther. You know, it was no great thing to be apprehended by the king's men to be part of a harem, to be brought into the king for a one-night, uh, a one-night stand, so to speak, and not her choice, not her desire. And then the, what happened to all those women is that they just got confined into the king's harem house into a life of, of desolation and loneliness, never able to be married, but uh, to be kept in the sort of state of widowhood, so to speak. That was no great thing. But 
that was a kind of a curse. She would have much rather have stayed in her cousin Mordecai's house and to been there within the, the love of her, of her cousin Mordecai and also the whole atmosphere of a godly place and to learn about God and to pray to God and to be in a place that honored God. That was her Mordecai's house. It would have been much better, but she fell. She, fell. she was in the curse of being in the uh, king's harem. But because she was there, God turned that curse into a blessing. She was chosen of all the women to become queen, which she was. She went into the palace, and then she again, like Joseph, found herself in the position and took the opportunity at risk to her own life when she said, if I perish, I perish. And she delivered all of the Jewish people because God turned Esther's curse into a blessing. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he was falsely accused, apprehended, and put into that terrible prison, there again, that was a curse. But that's what brought him to the cross. That's what, after his resurrection was, brought him into the into be highly exalted to the right hand of God, into the palace of God. And from there, it says, he was exalted to bring deliverance to Israel and forgiveness of sin, repentance and forgiveness of sin. And why? Because the Lord caused the curse that fell on the Lord Jesus Christ to be turned into a blessing. So in all of these cases, what we see is God, the great God, turning curses into a blessing. You could look at that in our own personal lives. We say, what's the greatest curse that we have as we're in our lives? It's the curse of our sin. It's the sin that we thought, the sinful thoughts that we thought, the sinful acts that we did, the sinful words that we spoke, and God turned them all into a blessing when we received the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what brought us to him, and we became saved people. Thank you for joining us today. Now, Tom Cantor of Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program has written another acclaimed book called Understanding the Jewish Messiah. It parallels the life of Joseph to the Jewish people of the past, present, and future. This book reflects not only on the history of the Jewish people, but on the future as foretold by the Hebrew Scriptures. And this wonderfully written expository book opens up the life of Joseph as you've never seen it before. It's a must-have for any Christian or any Jewish person who may be searching for the truth and evidence of the Scripture and who the Messiah really is. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051 to get a copy of this book. 1-800-247-3051. This is our monthly resource. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org to learn more. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at the same time.